Hi, and welcome back to the Academy Podcast. It's been one month since you've last heard from us. Unless, and this is one of my pet peeves, I tune into YouTube, I find this new channel, I start following them, and the first video I click is like, hey, sorry, I haven't made videos in a long time. Like, I wouldn't have known, because I'm looking at you for the first time, you idiot. Well, considering we're a series based on books, you know what I mean? Yeah. They're following yes. the book along, so it'd be like... Potentially, but if somebody comes in the future and they don't wait four weeks to see this episode because they, in their timeline, think back to the future. You're not thinking fourth dimensionally, as Doc Brown would say. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, my name's Austin Parenti. And my name's Aaron Mijas. And we're so excited to be in our final days uh in plato's republic thank god this has been <laughs> i've enjoyed it this has been very very interesting to to see i think to, to to get a deeper understanding of what plato's all about because he's so talked about obviously but to also see how much mystery surrounds the man uh how how much he left undefined that is still debated um it, up until this time and, and seeing how this conversation has waxed and waned through certain beliefs and all that yeah i think it's super cool well, I'm glad I'm glad you're enjoying this series. Yeah, yes. Republic. I just read it and I ask questions. And <laughs> you yep. have to read 2000 years worth of 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 essays. So <laughs> here here's what's happened so far. Let me summarize. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Let me summarize. So so the conversation began with what is uh, justice. That's kind of the heartbeat of the conversation. And a few premises were uh, were put forth. But essentially, Plato said, well, why don't we. Um, say this justice in the individual um, must look like justice as it would in the city in the greater civilization and i think it would actually be easier for us to cast a vision of this utopia uh, city and and see what justice starts to resemble there uh, and that way we can eventually backpedal and have a, a, a good working definition that could apply to the city and to the man that's where this begins, right? Yeah. And so uh, we go on this long journey, and, and uh, a lot of the most famous passages from this book culminate in the allegory of the cave, the philosopher king, which has to do more with the ruling um, guardian class. Um, and, and there were some enlightening ideas on how we should approach the world. But what's going to be relevant for this passage here is uh, Plato's idea of there being an external form of goodness that we need to strive for something that is not visible to our senses, but uh, visible to our reason uh, after much work and discipline. Yeah. So he will talk now. He, he goes on in these, in these pages to describe mostly mathematics, but other things that the philosopher kings should study in order to best ascertain that form of goodness. Yeah, or just the realm of the forms in general. This is... Mm -hmm. this is uh, so kind of like in the beginning, how we went over um, music and we mm -hmm. went over, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm blanking. So like it when in the earlier chapters, when we were talking about the education of the philosopher, and I believe the episode is titled education of the philosopher. And right. we, and it was about how, you know, we want to make sure that they're, you, you know, they're acting out the right roles, that they're not throwing themselves into the emotions too much when they're, when they're acting out these plays and they're reading these poems. And then yes. remember it was all about, they were striking all the right, bad poems. Yeah, the exactly. Like uh, trying to, basically it was, a, it was, it was 
courses on literature essentially where it was it was telling them okay we need to we need to read stories that engender the correct virtues the correct principles in our young guardian class right uh, where and then now we are kind of rubber meets the road where if we're remembering the divided line from the last episodes where we are now we are now past that preliminary educational phase where they're learning the basics of arithmetic that they're learning the basics of of exactly what poems and stories that they need to be reading and instead we are moving towards how to put it um things that are going to allow them to reflect upon the realm of the forms yeah so so the those first elements were more behavioral discipline stuff that would lead them to live a virtuous life and then this is going to help them study and and, and deepen their understanding of the form. Yeah, we're creating the the proper conditions for education for philosophical education to actually take place. So it's kind of like how you know we were talking about earlier how your wife mm -hmm. eh, Austin's newly married. Congratulations! Yes. Well, thank uh, you. So uh, how your wife is is a new teacher, and how it's very necessary for her to instill discipline in the students and exactly how they should be behaving in the classroom, how they should be behaving um, just in general to be receptive to the knowledge that they need to gain. Mm -hmm. um, you can't have rambunctious students that it, because for Plato it's more important that you're a virtuous person rather than a well-educated person, right? There's nothing worse yeah. than, a, than an intelligent person who's arrogant. So something to think along those lines. Okay, okay. Okay, so let, let's get into this. Uh, the first thing he kind of talks about um, in this, in part eight is um, that the, the things that we are to study need to provoke us to thought. And, and so now I'm understanding there are some things we can study that don't necessarily provoke us to thought. He uses this example of the fingers, which I was like, I think I understand. But his idea is, okay, if you hold up three fingers, one, two, three, pretty obvious. Yeah. But when you get deeper into the qualities of those fingers, like their sizes, that requires some use of reason. Um, can you help break down for me what he... Well, I, what he means by this, we, we must study things that move us to thought. Is it because he's, he wants us to start exercising that reason and not just practical? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, think back uh, to the argument of compressence um, that we were talking about before with the forms, how I was saying that one cannot argue that like a tree is a tree. So remember we used the example of the tree. Or let's go back to the example of beer because I am drinking a beer right now. Again. Sam Adams, Lar Boston Larger. <laughs> So a beer, <laughs> we cannot question that this is a beer. Lager. <laughs> and so this, this beer, that's it. It's a beer. Mm -hmm. Now, if I said the beer is small, this bottle is small. Well, small compared to what? Because to an ant, it's pretty large. So right. what do we mean when we say small? So obviously there it is. So we go back to it where it is both small and not small. Depending on. Yeah. Okay. Exactly, because when we when we make that when we make that value statement, we all of a sudden see that a beer is a statement that is that is rooted in a fact, you know. Whereas the where the statement of small is rooted in the realm of opinion, and that it, it exists in a state of flux, right? The argument confront compressance. It is both small and not small. There is it 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 has this tension about it. So then, when if that is the case, and that means that there must be for Plato that there must be a form. Of that thing that allows me to understand that this is this is small of, of, in and of small itself. beers or of smallness. Smallness. Okay. It has it. It possesses that essence. Okay. Okay. That yeah. exists within that tension. 
Um, and so, um, you know, we're just, that's just light touching. If anybody is very confused about that, you are more than welcome to go back and listen to the previous episodes. Give us the views. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. um, so then the, so then it, that's kind of what he's getting at where he's saying, well, look at the fingers, right? Nobody's questioning that these are fingers. Ta-da fingers. Yeah. Okay. Much in like a cow is a cow, a tree is a tree, a beer is a beer. But when I talk about sizes of the fingers, well, now all of a sudden it is both small and not small, large and not large, large in comparison to one thing, but not another. So it does not necessarily possess the essences of that, which is small or large. It hmm. only participates in those things. So there's, there are, so the forms are kind of these essences that resolve that tension. So now what he's getting at is that, well, how do I, how do I get from here to there? How do I get to a place where, as you're saying, there are different ways of thinking about things. And so instead of just taking something for granted where I'm looking at it and I say, that is small, that is large, that is just, that is unjust. Instead of taking that for granted, we start to explore those concepts and we say, okay, there seems to exist some sort of tension where it is and it is not. Mm -hmm. And so we need to resolve that. And so he's getting, once again, we're drilling down into those first principles. And that's what this whole book is, is, is a conversation where we're drilling down to those first principles and we're reflecting on things that basically form the foundation of all of our knowledge. Yeah. So, so that takes him in this direction. He says, let's, let's talk about what these, um, what our rulers should learn. And yeah. they start surveying some options and, and he says that the these options are just not, if I'm understanding it right, it's almost like he's saying they're not eternal enough. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, they're studying things that, that do not move us to the forms as quickly or effectively as, as another subject might. I'm trying to find what the subjects were that he, he kind of called out and said, no, nah, not so much. I think one of them was music uh, or like physical education. That's definitely... Um, participating in a world of change. Right. He was saying, you know? because if you can harken back all to, uh, you know, to those earlier episodes about education that we, that we did, I think it was the second episode that we ever recorded. It was, um, it was, you know, the physical education side was very important. He emphasized that. However, when we're talking about the philosopher, he's saying that obviously you, you're, you're going to need physical education, but is that, is your physical educa education going to help you contemplate the realm of the forms? No, not really. Mm -hmm. You know, that's it, it's all about it's all about a ceaseless reflection and dialectic that allows me to eventually understand the forms, and then from the forms, I begin to understand the essence of what is of goodness because that illuminates yeah. the realm of the forms. The key thing was that I was seeing, and when he was saying yes or no, when he's throwing out subjects or welcoming them in, is is it helping me participate in something unchanging? Am I getting that right? Yeah. So so physical education, that's changing. Throw it out. Not going to help me with the forms. So he lands on mathematics as being something that's unchanging. Yes. And, and I was like, okay, yeah, I see that. Numbers are numbers. Yes. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and now he'll start to break down these five different studies of mathematics. Right. Um, before we just go ahead into arithmetic, is there any introductory thought we should have in our mind yeah i think i think i want to avoid um because for a lot of people who are listening to a podcast they're not going to want to hear like a diatribe on me talking about like math and mathematics <laughs> and like talking about like oh, really yeah i mean like because i mean whole section i mean when doing the research it was incredible but i mean nobody's going to want to hear about how positive integers demonstrate uh, this idea of universality contained within the forms. And, and, and even though that may be interesting for some people, it just doesn't fit with the podcast format. So we have to kind of be very careful. So I would say that 
but I kind of jotted down in my notes, was that I don't want to be too bogged down into exactly how mathematics is treated by Plato. Like, you know, don't misunderstand me in that saying, you know, well, we're not going to talk about math. We're not going to talk about the sciences because we are. However, it, Plato's not even really too concerned about like how how we do the math. It, it, it okay. It, it has it more, yeah, it has more to do with the, the, uh, the reflective capacity that math possesses. So let me let me rewind and, and kind of reframe the subject. And I don't even think we're going to spend too much in the chapter itself when we're having this discussion because I don't even think we really need to um, because his his Plato's idea of math, starting from the beginning here, is that math is something that we kind of look at and we say, okay, this is not something that we debate, right? So just today, for instance, pretty much anything is up for grabs, right? So we talk about politics. Politics is a, is a realm of heavy debate, ethics. Um, when we talk about epistemology, the study of knowledge and how we know things, you know, or, or just understanding beauty. Um, when we, in, so all these subjects of philosophy are very much debatable, but for some reason, mathematics and, and to an extension, the sciences are something that generally people don't touch. I don't know if you've noticed that, but it's kind of like, Two plus two is four. That's not a debate, right? Like yes. mathematics holds something in the realm of truth. And and I mean big T truth. So imagine if, so how to explain. So imagine like there's a battle between all these different ideas. So like you have all these different philosophical schools of thought and they have their own armies and they're battling it out over, over the hill of who is going to dominate in terms of truth. And so if you can claim something like mathematics, and say mathematics demonstrates how my philosophy is true. If you can if you can claim that fertile ground, that's a that's a big deal, right? Because sure. nobody's quite because it, it holds a special place. It's it nobody's debating math. Okay, yeah. so <laughs> I want to reframe it in that context of how important that is. It's it has less to do with the math itself, but more of what the math represents. Right. So, getting further into it and this is going to sound really complicated, but for Plato, and I'm going to refer to how we're talking about this as Platonic mathematics so that we reframe it. So instead of just math, we're talking about Platonic mathematics right. is fundamentally, write this down. <laughs> this is fundamentally that is the belief that there are existential objects, objects that exist truly in and of themselves that are beyond our sense, percep sense perceptions and are true. So math demonstrates, I'm going to say it again, Platonic mathematics is the belief that mathematics demonstrates that there are existential objects that exist in and of themselves that are beyond our sense perceptions and are true. Now, are we speaking about like three-dimensional geometry where we draw a triangle, but it's not perfectly 180 degrees like like pr right proportion straight lines it's really participating in the idea of what a perfect triangle would look like and that triangle does exist yeah that's a perfect example okay. right because if i if i tell you you know if you go to your students mm -hmm. and you say everybody close your eyes now imagine a triangle but Imagine what a true triangle is. Like, what is triangleness? It's not really a word, but triangleness. 
Like now, at first, I say 180 degrees three sides. Yeah, and, but Plato's like, no, 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 no. Okay. Yeah, and we're gonna even move beyond that. Mm-hmm. So the thing, so you know, what is it? And so then, and then you get an image of your mind of like what, what in and itself is triangleness as a shape. You mm-hmm. kind of get this hazy idea. And then I say, now go draw it on a board. Eh. Right. <laughs> it is not, it will never, it will never match. So now for Plato, he's saying that if I, if I look at a triangle and I look at geometry, obviously they're demonstrating objects that are universal and that they have, they have, you know, this idea of angles and sides and a triangle is a triangle is a triangle. But then beyond that, it fits into other shapes. And then I begin to see that demonstrated in the realm of astronomy and in the heavens and in the cosmos and the turns of the earth. And then Mm. going beyond and I'm spoiling a little bit ahead because, you know, we'll, we'll get there, but yeah. So essentially we're saying, so if mathematics tells how significant that is, is to say that mathematics has, has a, has a very significant, um, claim to truth and then to say, yeah. And that claim to truth demonstrates for us that there are existential objects that exist outside of our sense perception. That is insane to, 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 (laughs) to get I cannot underestimate that enough in terms of philosophy. If I am able to truly demonstrate to you that there is a realm that exists beyond our sense perceptions, that empiricism is not, is not the truth of the matter. Something beyond. Well, then my friend, we just entered in the realm of the metaphysical. And then at that point, I can then begin to prove, I can then begin to prove not only the forms, but I can, I can prove that there is an, an objective good, an objective ethical value that exists outside of ourselves. Mm. And then perhaps even enter into the realm of a divinity and right. then begin to prove the existence of, of a God and a God who, who cares and a God who is fundamentally involved in the affairs of humanity. And so, and so you start to see it go in an, an entirely new direction. So math and to an extension, Plato is a threat to a lot of, other philosophical thoughts that may exist that would not claim such a thing. And so you'll start to see that when we enter into modern philosophers, if we ever get past this book, <laughs> that that math, like you'll see like a lot of people like like in random sections, if you've re- like you've read other philosophers, of course, sure. and you'll start to like they'll randomly talk about math. And you're like, why are you, why are you talking about math? Like, why is this why is this coming up? Like, what's what's going on, Kant? What's going on, Hegel? Like, what are you what are you guys doing? Because it, it is so, and I mean, even see it in our own modern day, like how much we praise mathematicians and the sciences and how we say, well, you know, people, you know, I don't believe in that. I just only believe in science. Well, that's significant because, you know, that's, we're, we're saying that that is just, that is the claim to truth. Like you can't question that. So if I'm able to demonstrate beyond the empiricists that, you know, everybody's trying to claim that fertile ground, that fertile territory, if I can say, okay, well, it's more than just your physical realm, but there's something beyond, wow, you know, that's, that's an assertion. And so you gotta, it's kind of, we're kind of playing with fire at that point. Mm -hmm. So, so mathematics helps us to discover just by its very nature, we're able to articulate and discover forms of numbers, of shapes, um, and, and this, this language of mathematics that exists um, uh, outside of our sense perception. Yep. And because there is this realm of mathematics that exists outside of our sense perception, it is uh, now plausible, or rather possible, that there are other 
elements that exist outside of our senses. Yeah. So it's kind of like mathematics is like the gateway drug into like the rest of the metaphysical right. um, conversation. Now I want to, I want to, would it, I don't know if this would be wise, but I want to get a little more into how exactly it does it. Yeah. How it, how, how mathematics gets us to that point. Right. Okay. Well, um, I'm going to disappoint you a little bit because it's not, it's not abundantly clear how mm. mathematics gets us there. There's, you know, I read, you know, quite a bit for this section. Um, and um, there's a uh, British thinker named Bernier, B-U-R-N-Y-E-A-T. And he wrote an article, well, <laughs> a paper, I should say, sorry, not an article, a paper on, uh, it's called Plato on Why Mathematics is Good for the Soul. And it was about 90 pages, so that was fun. And, <laughs> Thank and, you. Um, Thank you for doing that for us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and um, he, he makes a great case. Um, and, of course, I went back to my girl, Julia Annis, yeah. in her introduction. And so she, she was kind of like, yeah, it's a little bit unclear. And Bernier kind of makes that concession a little bit where he's like, yeah, it's a, we don't exactly know. Because here's, here's the let me put this in the context of the divided line. So if we remember back from the previous episodes, we have the divided line where we move from, from the realm of opinion where we're only thinking of, okay, you know, well, uh, I believe that this is good and not reflecting on like why and saying Helen is, be remember Helen is beautiful yep. because she is beautiful. Whereas she is only an object that is participating within the essence of beauty itself, right? The differences. So we move from opinion to belief into knowledge. And so the divided line that Plato establishes is that there's an ascendancy order in where you move from opinion, which is the lowest form. Well, actually ignorance is the lowest form because you don't believe in anything. You're only looking at shadows. Mm -hmm. And then, so then you move to opinion on things and you're a sight lover is what he calls you. And then you move to belief where you start to like, you kind of, you're kind of in this, well, I believe that this is good because, but you don't have, or I believe that's beautiful because, and you give reasoning, but it's still not the essences of the thing, the forms. And then you move into the realm of knowledge. Yeah. And so that wall, that divided line where you cross over from belief to knowledge, um, from doxa to epistemic, to use those Greek terms, is is math right so that kind of gets us over the wall but it's not evidently clear how that is to occur okay. so but to briefly go over it um and you know which is kind of funny because i said well we don't know but here i'm gonna explain <laughs> it um so the thing is is that he establishes those those fields of thought right so we have arithmetic um plain geometry uh 3d geometry and then um, astronomy, ast harmonics and astronomy. So we have, so those are our five. I'm going to say it again. Um, we have arithmetic, plane geometry, which is two dimensional geometry, three dimensional geometry, and which is study of physical objects, harmonics and astronomy. And all these are in some way bound up in mathematics. Now, Plato is not so concerned with arithmetic. He only kind of talks about it in a sort of, in a very brief superficial kind of way where he says that, you know, obviously mathematics demonstrates a universal language, how everybody can speak in terms of numbers that a, that all, that all integers devolve down into one. There is a oneness mm -hmm. to, to mathematics. So going back to that example of, you know, the, uh, not only the forms, but how all forms are wrapped up in this element of goodness. So it's kind of that baseline. So that's kind of what he talks about arithmetics and that all numbers are governed by a set of fundamental laws that determines whether they are true or false in terms of like math, just pure arithmetic. 
Now, geometry is what Plato is really excited about. Okay, so he talks most about geometry because actually in, in the Greek sense, geometry was the first form of math that actually was developed truly in the Greek world where there was actually a system that was starting to come into play. You have Pythagoras and then you have Euclid after him that kind of started to establish these laws of geometry and set it up as a formal practice and study. So Plato loved that. That it was that they were establishing an actual formal practice because you got to remember this is also a guy that kind of basically founded Western philosophy. He, <laughs> yeah. he started the academy, so there was a lot of you know. And in fact, above the academy door, he said, "Let all who like study geometry enter here." Kind of, really? so yeah. Um, so wow. it, it was very, very important to him. And so, so like we were talking about the idea of the triangle geometry. Once you go from okay, so let's just even take the concept of going from a two dimensional figure to a three dimensional figure. Like, has anybody ever, like, like reflected upon that? Like, whoa, you know, this triangle here on this flat surface, I just, you know, doodle a triangle, little right triangle, put my little box there in the corner, yeah. and, <laughs> you know, did my angles, you know. Um, and then I said, well, if I, if in my mind's eye, flip it up and I attach other triangles to it. And if with the perfect angles and measurements, whoa, I have a pyramid. Hmm. We never, I don't think anybody's ever sat, like as, as kids in middle school, you know, or elementary, <laughs> we sat there and we're like, and this is why Plato makes a point to say that math should not be studied at a young age, right? He says you should only study math when you're like our age, mm -hmm. because his whole thing is that, well, isn't that amazing that we just took a two-dimensional object and then it put it into a 3D plane of existence, that process itself. Now reflect on that. That's what he would say. He would say, reflect upon that. And then you start to see, wait a second, how, how the two-dimensional triangle is just as true in the three-dimensional form, but it has just been expanded. It's like, how does, how does it move? How does it make its shape like that? How incredible that is. Like, whoa. And so that's what he's saying is that geometry is going to demonstrate for us these existential objects that exist outside of the sense perception because we... <laughs> I hope I'm, I'm hoping I'm making myself clear is that, mm -hmm. wow, like that's amazing. And then you start to see how that triangularity is, is demonstrated throughout the empirical world. And then we're like, oh, wow. Like we start to see those examples and how those angles take, take place. So then, so then going from there, it's, you then enter in these other concepts and, and where you start to talk about space, dimensions, planes of existence, um, cohesion, unity proportion i start throwing out these terms right and so this is what plato this is where plato wants us where we're discussing the ontological nature and status of the object themselves so let me rewind a second that's a lot right so instead of saying so like your math teacher would say okay let's um you know take this this face of a pyramid you know, like they'll say, okay, they'll draw on a board. Let's imagine just a, um, I forget all the, so we have a right triangle, isosceles, and equilateral, right? Mm -hmm. So like, let's take an equilateral triangle. So all sides are equal, right? And they say, and so in equilateral, like triangles, four of them are needed to make a pyramid plus a, a perfect square on the bottom, right? So then he would say, or she would say, would that, okay, we have this triangle, and now I need you to, now they would you know, a little kid would be like, okay, so what would be the measurements of all the other three triangles? And then 
you know, the smart kid in the class would, who's a little quick, would raise their hand and say, well, they're all equilateral triangles, so all the angles and sides have to be equal. And then form the pyramid, right? But then Plato would stop you there at that point and say, okay, but don't even, like, we just assumed, right? We're, we're assuming this, this equality of the triangles, right? We know that for the shape. So we have this theory that for a pyramid, all the sides have to be equal because it's equilateral triangles to form a pyramid. Mm-hmm. So then, uh, but then he would say, but we haven't even discussed the idea of, of a dimension. <laughs> what does it mean to have a dimension? What yeah. does it mean to be in a plane? What does it mean to be in proportion and in right proportion in unity? To form a pyramid so we're talking so once again drilling down to those first principles the sa- very first right exactly the <laughs> very first he says you know forget like like forget like because he says we need to forget the practicality of like math he says it there where he says well you can study math to you know you has a military purpose you count your troops you you plan your movements like obviously it's for it's for you know building and architecture accounting plenty of applications for math and that's why we study math is for those practical applications you know what i mean mm-hmm. but plato's like no 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 no. don't even don't even do that don't go that far as a philosopher you know when we talk about let's take physics for example and so we say we say oh, okay well e equals mc squared okay and so, but, and he, and he says, okay, so you have all these things that fit that formula. So like that formula is now being proven as we study, you know, space, uh, space-time relativity. However, Plato says, okay, great. You have that formula and you can apply it. But what I want you to do is to, is to think about what does it mean to have, like, to have energy itself, mass itself to exist, what is space itself to exist within? And then all of a sudden, whoa, like, now we're expanding. So that's why math kind of is that launching point into, like you said, the very first principles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's very, where where I think most people are tempted to take these subjects and build out and up, but I don't mean up spiritually or, or metaphysically, but I mean like up literally, like yeah. to, to construct. Yeah. Um, Plato wants to use these subjects to turn in and almost dismantle the the workings of the universe to understand them better. Is that fair? But not workings of the universe to understand, like in, in the sense that he he would say, look at the stars, not because I want to know their motions. Look at the stars because they help you to reflect upon what does it mean to even, what does it mean to even, exist as like what does it mean to even take shape to have to have motion what Mm -hmm. is motion itself Hmm. what is proportion what is uh, what does it mean to to form these shapes in 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 the sky when he talks about arithmetic and i I think this continues for these first three um uh, mathematics that he he talks about glaucon gives a, a a small anecdote every now and then about oh, well, this math is is practical because it can be used for this and for that and for this and for that. And he's talking about commercial uses. Um, geometry is good for building architecture. Arithmetic is good for counting your troops and, and yeah. stuff like that. And Plato keeps on refuting him again, saying, don't study math for the practicality of it, but study math, um, again, to, to come to a deeper understanding of the forms and all that, which is awesome. But it made me think, you know, why, we are... Every school in America that I know of <laughs> has to have a mathematics teacher who teaches this, this stuff. 
And I, I feel like the cry of the students is always, why do I need to learn this? Where is this going to help me? And I feel like rather than, than refuting them like Plato's doing and saying, it's not meant, you're, you are not studying algebra so that you can uh, become a better accountant. You're, right. you're, studying, Absolutely. you're studying algebra because of all these things that Plato's talking about. Instead of fighting them in that direction, we are trying to, sw- you know, we're trying to tread water in a storm and come up with reasons for studying it. And in education, we talk a lot about how what's happening in the world influences the classroom so heavily. We don't, you know, average people don't think about it, but, um, but you know, during the Cold War, that's when STEM really first got a lot of its funding, you know, like, like for the purposes of war, right. For competition, you know? Um, but before that, there were other things, um, that the government was, was getting pressure on. And so they started pushing that into the schools. And so again, like I've been looking at education as like an abused animal, you know, who keeps getting thrown in this way and that way, when truly I think the purpose should be to meditate on the forms, to, to move us closer to a truer understanding of realities um, but instead, we keep getting slapped around um, into these directions of having uh, of having to graduate students who are ready to be accountants, who are ready to get good jobs, um, who are ready to contribute to our nation's defenses, you know, in, right. in the sciences. Right. And we, I, I don't really have a question, but it's, that's been a frustration <laughs> of mine. I'm, I'm trying to think of like where that started, but maybe did Plato's idea ever catch on? Was that... I'm not very, very familiar with Middle Ages and Renaissance education, but did they take Plato and run with it and say, yeah, we're going to build schools based off of this idea that it's all about finding the forms? Or has he always been more of like a a fringe yeah. figure? So, well, the question inevitably, inevitably becomes this idea of, well, is, is philosophy this... Um, this overarching science that that basically possesses all of the knowledge within all the other studies mm-hmm. so whereas aristotle would say that every single every single science possesses in itself its own first principles like its own philosophy right so he'll say like well the study of biology it leads into its own first principles. It has it has its own it has its own realm. It's like of, an island. Yeah, it's its own island. It has its own metaphysical reality that that exists and it informs it. And so each of them having their own categories. He was the king of categories, right? He, he yeah. <laughs> now Plato, Plato would claim that that philosophy is this overarching belief that that it is that it is uh, there's only one realm of knowledge that exists that informs all others. And so philosophy sits at, how to say, I wouldn't say that. I think all of them ascend into philosophy is what Plato would be arguing. Like a cornerstone and an arc. Yeah. It's the arch. Yeah. Yeah. It's the arch. It's the cornerstone. It completes it basically Mm -hmm. not necessarily that he's not saying that you it's philosophy is not necessarily the foundation for the study of mathematics or biology or astronomy or harmonics or whatever study you may be pointing at however it is it is what what true reflection will inevitably lead into the the plane of the universal that that is the study of philosophy so philosophy is kind of like it don't think of it as like that that base it is it is the completion so relate that back to education. So 
obviously, you know, there's a battle in between whether you're Platonic or Aristotelian, you know, back in the day. Um, but Aristotle wasn't invented, it wasn't invented, wasn't introduced <laughs> back to Europe until, you know, much later by the Arabs. So, so a lot of, a lot of our thought, especially like in the Romans in antiquity, they didn't have much of the works of Aristotle to go off of. So basically thought was pretty platonic. Mm-hmm. And so, and schools were built in this direction with, yeah, with the idea of like, let's, cause I remember talking about the quadrivium and, and like that curriculum outline, was that medieval or was mm-hmm. that, okay. Yep. And could you, could you help me understand a little more about that? The development of our education as it came from. Plato and the, the different expressions it's kind of taken. Well, I'll say this. Uh, we have to talk about, well, what is what is the goal, right? Because it's oh, the question was always, so the question is and always will be and has always been the goal, right? So the goal of education today, typically what we say is that you need, you need this education so that you can get a good job. Well, that's the parents, Right. The, right. But, well, I mean, but, even us, I mean, we say like, oh, well, I want to study, you know, I want to get an MBA. I want to, you but know. you, you see that my, my issue, I don't want to get too much about modern education because that's not what, what's in question here. But my, my kind of qualm with it is that you have parents saying you need to go get a job and sure, some practical people, we need to get a job. But then you have the government saying we need to create an educated citizen. Oh, don't get me on. Don't right. Get me, don't get me fired up about that. <laughs> um, but, and then you have these older classical ideas that say, no, it's just about uh, fostering the virtues and moving you closer to the form. And I feel like all three of those are in absolute competition with each other and there's no winning like, uh, you know, so, so that's what's so frustrating. Right. What Plato, what Plato is concerned with has always been concerned with and will always be concerned with is the formation of good souls. That is it. And, and you have, and there, there is a relation for Plato that a, a good society forms good souls and good souls form a good society. Society is made up of individuals and, and you will see that demonstrated in the next section kind of, well, actually very much so that he would say that, you know, society being made up of individuals, that if that for every society, there's a different kind of individual that exists. And so you change the direction of the society when you change the individuals and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So for him, he would say the purpose of education, right, is to form like this is the foundation. Education is the foundation for the accomplishment of what he's establishing in the republic. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when we so let's take that in terms of mathematics. So if mathematics is to help me reflect upon the realm of the forms, it's not just to reflect upon the realm of the forms. He says, great, you're there. Who cares? So the however, what is the base like what is what illuminates all of knowledge? Good, the good, goodness itself. That's where he wants you to, he wants you to drink deeply of that fountain. Everything is all about that. You know, sure, I want, he's like, I want a awesome warrior class, well-educated, but uh, capable of defending the city, uh, owning all property in common, highly intelligent, you know, guardians. But I want, I want good, I want good men and women. I want just philosopher kings. And and so what does math how does mathematics get us there in terms of education is it demonstrates unity. I said this before early in an earlier episode but Plato cares most about unity. He cares about unity in proportion. So when we talk about that tripartite soul, right? Mm-hmm. Where we have reason at the head, you have you have your uh, thumos, you have your your bravery and your courage that is being chained to the to the desires of reason. And we had a very long discussion about that. What you know exactly? How does that work <laughs> right. out? And again, you can go back and look at our you know our theory of the soul episode. But the 
you know, and, and how, and it's controlling the appetites, right? And everything, everything desires in right proportion and works together and moves towards that common goal. And so how do we move towards that goal of goodness and justice? He's saying you need to be unified, not only unified as in you as an individual, but as a society. He's saying that we as individuals, when we are in right order and right proportion with ourselves, tr truly desiring that which is good in and of itself, we are going to create a system, a society. We're going to create rulers, just people that are going to keep us together. It's not about particular policy. It's never about particular policy prescriptions. And I think this is really important for us to hear in our current day and age with everything that's going on. And there's a lot of, well, I mean, I don't think we're as disunified as, as, as people want us to believe. I think there are, I think there are probably actors out there that, that profit from <laughs> portraying a portray, portraying like, you know, uh, uh, chaos and disunity in this country. Sure. Uh, I, you know, I think, you know, I, I can have conversations with my neighbors still, no problem, right? So, mm -hmm. but we, you know, he's saying we as a society need to be unified towards this goal together. We need, the, the society needs to demonstrate that of, that mm -hmm. of the unity of the soul. And so what does mathematics demonstrate for us? Universality, unity, cohesion, everything in right order, perfect. And in a sense, into this idea of, wow, goodness, goodness itself. And so going back to your, going back to the education, that's what everything is serving towards. It, it, it could be about acting out of play, reading poetry, physical education, math, the sciences, astronomy, whatever, right? All of it, all of it. You point to any example in this book that we've gone over so far, and I would say you can see very plain as day, what does it lead towards? Unity, right proportion, right order, all orientated towards the good, always. So this is what education is missing today. And I know you don't want to get too bogged down in the modern education thing. I mean, I wouldn't mind, but I feel <laughs> right, like right, right. We're, you know, but I mean, just to relate it back is that, is that education then was, that was the goal is it, it yeah. was to create, it, it was to create the right, you know, uh, create good people, just and virtuous citizens. Um, at least that's what the Romans were definitely focused on in their education. It worked for, sure. for a while. Yeah, <laughs> and it worked for a while. And I mean, and it was only until the fall of that, that, you know, the, the corruption of that, that you start to see the, the fractures in Rome. Um, it, and I mean, just as a side note, I mean, this is why the, the, the upper strata of Rome, you know, those who are of the educated class believe so strongly in, in most, all of them, most, if not all of them, participated within what industry? Agriculture. Because agriculture for them was was the 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 most fundamental like good that they could participate in because what provides life for the society what what is the 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 blood that pumps through the veins of a country it's not it's not good it's I mean yes it is good law and good order that's why the Romans were so good at creating law but what it forms as a foundation well it's agriculture. And so it, all of that, it all feeds in together, if that makes sense. So it's sure, just unity. Sure. So that's what we're missing. It's not for some sort of external end of, you know, uh, of, of just having more engineers in the other country just in case, you know, we need to, we need to stay on the up and up of technology. That's going to be the death of us. That's what's really going to kill. That's what's going to kill this country. That's what's going to kill humanity is that, is that race. Um, it, yeah. yeah. More, having more engineers and less philosophers. Yeah. Right. Or just, yeah. People or just not even, I mean, you don't even be philosophers. I would love, you know, you as a teacher, me as a, whatever I am, I don't even know, um, a drunkard and, and, and um, and you know, you know, I, or my sister who works in a dermatologist office or my mother who works in a hospital, you know, all these different people, you have your occupation. However, 
you always, always, always have this reflective attitude about yourself, always contemplating, always seeking out which it, what is the right and the good. Hmm. Um, that's what we're missing, really. That's what you're kind of getting at, I think. No, yeah, I, I believe that because th- this reactionary society, um, it, it, it's never ending. Because once you set your goal on something changing, right? If the goal of, of the United States education system is to create a citizenship that can stand up to the world's challenges, the world's challenges are changing every day. If you're looking at the literal challenges of, well, this year we're at war with this group, and, and this time we're dealing with this sickness and this uh, this uh plague or whatever. Uh, and so you will constantly be flip-flopping your curriculum, which is why I think we, we're seeing such stress on teachers now, especially yeah. in the elementary levels who are constantly have to teach to new standards that are normally BS because by the time they're implemented, it's almost no longer relevant to what's going on up there. But if we would set our sights and our goal as a school and as an institution or whatever on something unchanging, right? Yeah. <laughs> Instead of combat this aim for this, for this goodness, this truth, the, the forms, um, I think you would create a beautiful, long-lasting institution that, that exports great minds. I, and I'm assuming that's where these early universities came from that are approaching some of them a thousand years old, like those old European yeah. institutions. Probably, my guess is they were founded on something like this, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I you know, it's, um, and I mean, relating it back to the book in, this, in particularly this section is what, what does Plato say about the ages? of what you're studying, right? Cause he yeah. says like for the most, for most of your life, you know, at least when we're talking about elementary, middle school and high school in terms of, you know, relating it back to us, yeah. he says, you're, you're, you're going to study literature. You're going to be in physical education. You're going to be taught. You're going to be taught exactly how you should behave and the things that you should believe. And then 20 years later, and then, and then <laughs> we will let reason reach you. We'll, mm-hmm. and then we'll, then we'll start allowing one reason comes to you. You'll, what is, what does C.S. Lewis say in the abolition of man is that you are going to be taught what you, what you need to love, what you should love. Yeah. And then when reason comes to you, you will, you will, you will know her and you'll be familiar with her. And then mm-hmm. she will, she will guide you to what exactly what you need to love. And it's, it's so it's in, we kind of got it reversed, right? So now we, we say like, okay, these, here are all the things you need to know right in terms of a technical sense and then you get to a certain age and then it's like now figure out what you need to love where he flips it so all that time you spent and then it's only until like what 20 to 25 i think he says where he's like okay now you're going to study math and reflect and then when you turn 30 that's when you start entering dialectic and philosophy which we haven't talked about yet which we need to get to but that's when that's when you start to begin to the the idea of contemplation so I'd like to, if you're okay with it, I'd like to move into dialectic. Looking at our time here, I think that'll be okay. Yeah, that'll be a good. It's a good time to start on that. So dialectic, we've we've discussed before. This is not part of the mathematics. Correct. Mathematics one through five are uh, arithmetic to harmonics. Then we move on from that into this age of dialectic, which is the seems to be his truest um, expression of philosophy. Uh, we uh, and 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 highest method to reach the forms is right. what it seems. Um, the 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 dialectic method we've talked about before. I think we said. I mean, dialectic just means dialogue. Um, it, it's it's uh, intentional conversation um, to aimed at discovery. Yes. Uh, of a truth, and that's exactly what's unfolding in this book. This is all a dialogue towards justice. Um, 
So, so practically, I was just curious because I, I think it's pretty self-explanatory what he's getting at. And, and we've been participating in this as a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> you and as I. a podcast. And if you, if you go all the way back to the beginning, those opening arguments where he says, well, justice is giving a man its due. Justice is, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, oh, well, saving money, you know, doing, you know, doing the right things for, for those you love and then, you know, yeah. hurting your enemies. And then they go back and forth, right? They spar. And then Socrates is like, no, no, how about this? How about this? And he asks them questions. It's like, oh, and then you start to, you start to rip apart those first principles and you start to demonstrate the truth or the, the validity or the invalidity of the argument, mm-hmm. right? To get down to the very bedrock of the issue, right? Mm-hmm. That's the whole book. I love it. <laughs> and and so I think this this idea is is clear what he means and what the goal is. I don't think we have to explain it much, but I was curious uh, what would its implementation what should the implementation look like? Yeah, okay. So I I'm going to read exactly from my notes because okay. I think sometimes my writing is better. Actually, my writing is always better than me talking. <laughs> um so I wrote um because Plato believes knowledge is supposed to be recollected, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, dialectic is meant to be a form of questioning and answering that demonstrates the inadequacy of particular views so that stronger definitions and understanding can be reached. So once again, we're going back to this idea. Remember I said knowledge is more of a spectrum that you move on. It's not It's not the De- Descartes doubt everything and then prove it. It's It's not empirical. It's more of... We are, we're not coming to like particular truths about things. We are just coming to a general greater understanding of these concepts that we're talking about that are demonstrated in math, unity, uh, cohesion, planes, existence, um, all those ideas is saying that we want to just understand them, become familiar with them in, in the same way that we make an acquaintance with the forms, right? So then inadequacy of particular views. Um, much in the same way, the opening dialogue, right? As I was talking about, um, dialectic, uh, dialectic aims to expose falsehoods and logical gaps, uh, so that our inherent intuitive knowledge can be teased out. Okay. So, and so this is where we're kind of getting into how do we practically apply that is to say, well, we need to get rid of, and, and so Plato loves math, but he also hates math because he, I don't know when you read it, he has this whole thing where he's like, he's like, I hate it when the Pythagoreans, they start <laughs> off with like, they create this hypothesis and then they say, okay, and then here are all these equations that fit the hypothesis. He hates that. He like yes. loses his mind over that. Yeah. And you're like, well, what the heck is his problem? Like you have to create a hypothesis to do math. And he says, no, 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 no. Because what happens is, is that you assume a starting principle. And then you, everything else beyond that is becomes just is a valid, is a false validation of that starting principle. So like this, so like I was on Reddit because I'm always on Reddit (laughs) and, and I was on Reddit and then there was a gentleman who, and so the Reddit page that I'm on most of all is r slash ask philosophy. So people ask questions and people comment and trying to respond, you know, so I'm on there. And I ask a lot of questions. Uh, I answer a lot of questions as much as I can. And one of the guys asks, you know, how do I, how do I get out of, how do I get out of nihilism? How do I get out of this nihilistic viewpoint? And so, and you know, personally, I'm not going to say where I stand on nihilism or you know how how that all shakes out for me. But what he was saying was that I he he personally in his own life could not contend with this idea that everything was meaningless that he that every time that he sought to enjoy something that every time he was approaching this idea of meaningfulness he would 
it would break for him and he would be like, well, everything is absurd. Yeah. Okay. So then to which I said, how about you don't even seed the ground that everything is meaningless? How about you take that away and instead explore the idea that things maybe have meaning? And then I gave him a reading list, explore this concept, right? Mm -hmm. And so in the same way, Plato's kind of doing that, where he's saying, don't, don't see the ground of the first principle. Fight. Battle it out. Really get into it. He, he wants intellectual rigor above all else. Because if we're going to talk about... He, so here's the one thing I love about Plato, right? We are so... We are awful creatures because we do not, we do not recognize the the brevity of what we're touching upon. Like, I think even here, you and I are talking about things that are incredibly important to people. And we are probably not truly appreciating what we're discussing. If that makes <laughs> sense, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, like, do we sit down and think, oh my God, like <laughs> this book is so old and here it is. I'm reading it and I'm talking about it. Like how incredible that is to all those things that needed to happen for me to get to this point. It's beautiful to think about. Mm-hmm. So he's, and so Plato, he appreciates the fact that what we're doing is forming souls properly. And he realizes the significance of that. And so he wants intellectual rigor because he knows that how important this is. And so he says, and so going to my notes now, um, hypothesis is an assumption treated dogmatically for the purpose of the argument in question. Whereas dialectic does not assume anything it uses nothing visible. It is, it is unhypothetical and proceeds to the forms by means of understanding the forms from which the hypothesis is actually based. Okay, so the hypothesis is just another step in the way of achieving that glory, right? Yeah. Don't forget it. Get it out of the way. I want to go right to the fountain. Philosophy thus is a non-empirical practice. Not relying upon diagrams or images, but seeks to know the subject matter directly, whereas the sciences do not. This is why I have to assume that almost every philosophy book to follow this, maybe not every one, but so many of them are written as dialogues, right? Yes. We, clearly, the, the, the philosophers after Plato picked up on this, I'm thinking of uh, Petrarch. I mean, I think Boethius you know, it is a dialogue between him and Fortune. I'm not sure it's written um, with like the little colon after his name, you know, every time. But um, so philosophy, it it can exist outside of dialogue, but this is certainly the best method that Plato can come up with for 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 his exploration of the forms. Say that again. That 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 the dialectic certainly philosophy can exist. Without, in, in a different in a different medium, but that the that the dialectic is the strongest medium for obtaining the forms. Um, man, I think I think what it what it is is that Plato just wants he he wants us to he wants us to fight. He wants like it's more of I think he's I think it's a bit of practicality actually because and I think Aristotle does talk about this a bit where he says you know because Aristotle agrees that dialectic is absolutely necessary and why it's I think it's just because it's the way that we learn best yeah. is when you're when you're battling it out and you're not you're leaving nothing unquestioned and that's why Plato he thinks it's very important for you to do this when you're older you, you shouldn't do this when you're young because because the because it, it 
It calls everything into question. Nothing, nothing goes unobserved for him. So to to uh, to introduce dialectic to kids, you know, because you know, you probably had debates in high school, right? You would like sit in the class and you would debate about yeah. something. I know okay. I did. You know, we had philosophy classes in high school. It, for Plato, that's dangerous because he's like, you don't know what you like, what you should be believing in, like what you what you need to be achieving. Like you don't know the purpose of these things, and so when you start to call everything into question, you you experience um, intellectual inertia, mm. and you move nowhere. What what is uh, man? Uh, the underground man uh, with Dostoevsky, right? Where he's like, mm-hmm. you have that whole inner monologue in the very beginning, and he's all like, he's like, I know so much, I'm so intelligent, blah 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 blah, and I can do nothing. I do nothing because. I'm so smart that I have uh, that I see the counter arguments and arguments for everything that I cannot move. <laughs> He's an awful person, but not Dostoevsky. Not Dostoevsky. <laughs> he, Dostoevsky. Wherever you are, Dostoevsky, <laughs> you are just you are just a oh no, <laughs> you're a phenomenal. Oh my goodness, we should do Dostoevsky on this. This should be a, this is now a Dostoevsky podcast. <laughs> um, so no, it's um. Um, so it's kind of like that where like, okay. you don't want to, you don't want to have this inertia. You want to, sure. you want to, again, intellectual rigor. Well, we are approaching our hour together. Wow. Our hour. Um, I felt like I was really just like yelling into the mic and you were just kind of <laughs> shaking your head the whole time. It's, it's well, I mean, I don't know what I could, the mathematics <laughs> is so complicated. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, you know, it, it, I mean, really math is the basis of your ethics. Mm-hmm. There it is. So uh, are, do you have any closing comments or thoughts on this section, or should we just leave it for, for part nine? Well, part nine is going to be a completely different thing, I think. But I, I, would, just, I would just say, you know, for those, um, whether you love math or hate math, um, you need to rethink it. <laughs> Fair. There you go. I like it. Well, guys, thank you for joining us this week. Um, and uh, I hope that if you did enjoy um, our our talk today, that you will give us uh, a high rating on whatever medium you're following us on. Five stars. Five stars, yes. Uh, if you have any uh, questions or recommendations, you can always um, send us an email at theacademypodcast at outlook.com. And I've only done this eight times now, but I don't remember. Is that everything I'm supposed to say? <laughs> um, you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram um, at the academy one. underscore podcast. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, guys, leave a comment, you know, rate wherever we are. You can find us pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, share us with those around you. Um, we, you know, I really love looking at those numbers going up and up. And so we <laughs> absolutely exciting. love you guys. We really appreciate it. We're sorry that we it took a while to get this episode out. But like I said, I prefer intellectual honesty and rigor above all else. So if it takes us a while to get an episode out to you, I want it to be accurate and I want it to be good. And so does Austin. Um, we love you guys very, very much. <laughs> we appreciate all your support um, and uh, we will be finishing out the uh, Plato's Republic in the next few weeks and then moving on to some fantastic content I uh, am excited yes. alrighty have a great week guys bye